Well, we can turn back to the passage you read there, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, and we can just think about this incident involving uh, Zacchaeus. Chapter divisions can sometimes hide connections. And there's an obvious connection between this incident and the one at the end of chapter 18. Because um, both of them happened in Jericho. Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem for the last time. Within a few days, he's going to be crucified and, and um, dead. And we know that, and we're meant to bear that in mind as we read the story. If we were reading it for the first time, we wouldn't realize that. But since most of us, if not all of us, are not reading it for the first time, then we know that we're about to enter the last week of Jesus' life. And that should uh, affect us as we, as we read it. As we saw, he had done an amazing miracle in giving Bartimaeus, as we saw last time, sorry, he had done an amazing miracle when he had given Bartimaeus his sight back. We suggested... Um, as we looked at Bartimaeus, it wasn't Bartimaeus' conversion. I mean, Bartimaeus knew who Jesus was. The minute he discovered that Jesus was passing by, although Bartimaeus was blind in a physical sense, he revealed he wasn't blind in a spiritual sense. He knew that Jesus of Nazareth as the crowd regarded him, uh, Bartimaeus knew that he was the son of David, the Messiah. It's quite extraordinary that a blind man would know that, isn't it? That uh, when he seems to be the only person in Jericho that did know that. Although he was physically blind, his spiritual antennae was very, was very clear. And the minute he realized that Jesus was present, he addressed him as the Messiah, and, and he knew what the Messiah was meant to do. Because when he was asked by Jesus, uh, what do you want me to do for you? He asked him for a, a miracle that had been predicted that the Messiah would do it. And, the, and it's, as we noted, it's very interesting what the question is that Jesus asked Bartimaeus. He didn't say to him, what do you think I can do for you? Instead, he said to him there, what do you want me to do for you? And, of course, desires are very important. And Bartimaeus, well, he wanted to get his sight back. And he, he did. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And he started to follow Jesus 
into Jericho. And I suppose we should ask the question, is Jesus going to do anything else as he comes to Jericho? And would the crowd have expected him to do anything else? I mean, the crowd didn't expect Jesus to do the miracle he did for Bartimaeus. That was a surprise to them. I mean, they, when Bartimaeus asked for help, the crowd told him to be quiet. You're disturbing Jesus. Don't you know we've got much more important things to do? We're on the way up to Jerusalem to keep the Passover. And he hasn't got time to listen to someone like you. That's basically what they said to him. But Jesus, as we saw, had time for them. And he did this amazing miracle. And I wonder, did it create within the crowd any sense of expectation? Doesn't look like it. And that's quite a challenging reality, isn't it? I mean, surely, normally, when someone does something amazing for us, we would wonder if he would do it again. And even those of us who are Christians, we should certainly have a sense of anticipation, shouldn't we? I mean, our own experience should tell us that. I mean, we were in need of a great miracle to happen. None of us were converted because somehow or other we were more intelligent than anybody else or because we had any more right than anybody else or that we could see things spiritually better than anyone else because the reality is that the only reason why any of us see spiritual truth is because God has told us. And since he has told us when we were spiritually dark, we should be expecting him to be doing it to somebody else. Because, you know, if we don't expect him to do it, it means that we think we were the last to be getting anything done by him. And that's a very strange outlook, isn't it? We should just expect him to work. And, and of course, Jesus is not predictable, is he? If I'd been in Jericho, I might have been tempted to go and try and find every person that was similar to Bartimaeus. Because after all, he has just done this amazing miracle for Bartimaeus. And if you can do it for him, well, you should get all the rest. But that would be to make Jesus predictable, wouldn't it? Whatever we say about him, expectancy doesn't mean we turn him into being predictable. And Jesus does that lots of times. 
I mean, for example, when he was crossing the, the Sea of Galilee in a storm, and he calms the storm, what do we expect him to do next? Before they crossed the sea, he had fed 5,000. That was an astonishing miracle. Then he goes into the boat, crosses the sea in the middle of a storm, and calms it. What will he do next? Well, we know what he did next. He met the men of Gadara, the people that chains couldn't bind. And he liberated them and sent them away to spread the news about himself throughout that region, which was a Gentile region. Entirely unpredictable. And it's good, isn't it, to have an unpredictable Savior. Not because he can't or won't do something, but because what he can do is far beyond what we can anticipate. And we're not to say he can only do this or he can only do that. He can change anyone. And we see that in the story of Zacchaeus, don't we? There's a verse in the Old Testament which was kind of predictive of what would happen in the New Testament era, where it says that God would take one from a city and two from a family, which, of course, mathematically is odd. Because if he takes two from a family, then there's more than one in a city. But anyway, take one from a city and two from a family, and he said he would do that. So here is Jesus coming to the city of Jericho. Will there be one from the city of Jericho to come into the kingdom? And we can imagine, though it probably didn't happen, we could imagine the people saying to one another, well, I wonder if there'll be somebody in Jericho that Jesus will help. And whether they wondered that or not, there was one he did help. At least one, Zacchaeus. Like us to think briefly, who was Zacchaeus? And then, secondly, is curiosity. Is curiosity a good thing? Then, thirdly, is challenge. And fourthly, the criticism. And fifthly, the confession. And lastly, the comfort. So who was he? Well, we're told that he was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He had climbed the ladder. 
He had reached the top. He was financially secure. In fact, he's the exact opposite of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was dependent, uncertain about where anything would happen on any given day, where he would get his next meal from. He was totally dependent on begging, and if nobody gave him anything, then that's where Bartimaeus would be, a man with nothing. But that could never be said of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And we're not surprised he's a chief tax collector because Jericho was a place of collecting taxes. It was on the main road, on the main road up to Jerusalem, and it was on the main road up to Galilee. And there would be lots of merchants and lots of other people having to pass through to pay their taxes. So Zacchaeus, he had made his fortune. But there's more to Zacchaeus than that, isn't there? He's also a man who's interested, interested in what is going on. And he heard had heard about Jesus. And because we're told there in verse 3 that, on, <clears throat> that he was curious to see who Jesus was. He was just interested in this man who was causing such a stir. He's not, I think, he's not interested, I think, because he knows about Bartimaeus. I doubt if that particular news has reached him so quickly. But anyway, he is interested in this man, Jesus, who's causing such a stir in the community. That's a bit about who he was. It tells us quite a lot about him. A self-made man. A man who didn't have to worry about where anything was coming from. A man yet curious about Jesus. We may not have the first two features, but are we, if we're not converted, are we curious about Jesus? But in a church service, surely of all places, that is where people should be curious about Jesus. Who is he? What's he done? What can he do for me? So on. That leads us to think about the curiosity of Zacchaeus described there in verses 3 and 4. He had two problems. Zacchaeus. One problem was caused by the big crowd, and the other problem was caused by his little stature. The big crowd stopped him getting close to Jesus, and this little littleness of height stopped him seeing Jesus. And you know, are these not in a kind of spiritual way? Are these not the problems that people face when they're trying to find Jesus? There's the barriers that other people put up, and there's the limitations that mark each of us by ourselves. These things were true of Zacchaeus in a physical sense, but they can be true of 
everyone in a spiritual sense. There's lots of things that can hide Jesus from our spiritual viewpoint. The world can do it in lots of different ways. It just hides him from us. And of course, our own personal lack of um, being able to respond appropriately can cause us problems as well, can't it? So there's the issues of how others prevent us seeing Jesus, and there's our own inability to see him. But as we can see, Zacchaeus didn't let these two issues stop him. He was quite resourceful, and he was also very agile. He ran, and he went and climbed up a tree. And that, of course, tells us he was a young man, doesn't it? I don't know what you think when you read the story of Zacchaeus before um, uh, read the actual verses, but I'd also assumed he was an old man. And the reason for that is he had become the chief of the tax collectors. But some people can climb the ladder very quickly. And Zacchaeus obviously was not only climbing the ladder of his um, employment, but he was fit enough to climb the tree. And of course, a, a sycamore tree, well, some of them can grow to being 100 feet tall. I mean, probably about um, 60 years ago, I could climb a tree. If I was trying to climb one today, <laughs> wouldn't go very far. But Zacchaeus himself was obviously very agile, and he just did what it took to get to see Jesus. He was prepared to do it. Of course, a sycamore tree's got a lot of foliage, and you can go up into it and, <clears throat> and just hide there. And uh, Zacchaeus was, um, he thought that would be the ideal place to do it. He wanted to remain unseen as he was trying to discover who Jesus was. And he thought he had found the perfect location. All these leaves and branches hiding him uh, from Jesus. And I think there's people who do that all the time. I don't mean literally, but they, they hear about Jesus and they want to well, they'll do some kind of private research and find out who about him. And they, they think they can hide from Jesus that they are actually thinking about him. And they also do it in such a way that others won't know that they're thinking about him. I suppose all of us who are now Christians would have done that at one time, wouldn't it? We just tried to give the impression that we weren't really seeking him, but we actually were. And we were more than curious. But we tried to do it in a way that nobody would notice. And I suppose, as we look at Zacchaeus, we have to ask ourselves, did his strategy work? 
Or what did Jesus think about his strategy? Or somebody trying to find him in a way that nobody else would see it? Well, that leads us to the challenge. There in verses 5 to 6. Zacchaeus, I'm sure, was very excited when Jesus decided to stop, of all places, right below where he was. Zacchaeus, well, he now had a great view of Jesus. And he may have been patting himself on the back for having climbed up into such a location. And it seemed to have worked. There he was. He could see Jesus clearly. Of course, what he didn't realize was that Jesus could see him clearly. But anyway, there's Zacchaeus up the tree. And he sees that Jesus is about to say something. And no doubt one reason why he's up the tree is because he's heard that Jesus is such a great teacher. And as he sees Jesus about to speak, perhaps there was a sense of anticipation in him. I wonder what wonderful things he's going to say. Well, Jesus did say something wonderful to him. He said to him, Zacchaeus, And of course, when Zacchaeus heard that, he discovered that not only did Jesus know he was up the tree, he discovered that Jesus also knew his name. Zacchaeus. Jesus will tell him, I know you. I know you exactly who you are. You think you can hide up the tree? Can't find me and hide up the tree. I mean, that's what he's saying to him, isn't it? And Zacchaeus, of course, didn't just hear Jesus telling him his name. He heard Jesus speaking with authority. Now, if there was one man in Jericho who had authority, it was Zacchaeus. If Zacchaeus said to a, a passing wealthy merchant, Pay your tax. Do you think the merchant would have paid it? Of course he would have paid it. And Zacchaeus would know he would have to pay it. Zacchaeus, whenever he gave a reminder to someone to pay their taxes, wasn't giving them a choice. He was giving them an instruction to come and pay your tax. Zacchaeus knew what it was like to hear a man who speak with authority. But he heard real authority when Jesus spoke to him. Jesus said to him there, as we can see in verse 5, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. What was he saying to him? Zacchaeus, you're trying to hide as you're seeking me. 
I want you, says Jesus, to walk beside me through Jericho. I want everyone in Jericho to see you walking beside me. And I'm not giving you five minutes to think about it. I'm not giving you two minutes to think about it. I'm telling you now, come down so you can walk with me through your hometown. If you didn't know the story, how would you think Zacchaeus would have responded? He wasn't used to being ordered around. But the amazing thing, of course, is that he did come down. And he did walk with Jesus through Jericho. And he did take Jesus into his house. And is that not a picture of the Christian life? I mean, when Jesus asks us to become his disciple, what does he require of us? He basically tells us, doesn't he, that he'll be with us out in the world and he'll be with us in our house. And Zacchaeus, well, that was good for him. The invitation of Jesus here, or the instruction of Jesus here, his heart embraced it. I mean, it's almost as if he said, if Jesus is willing to walk with me through Jericho, I should be willing to walk with him. If Jesus is not embarrassed to be seen with me, even though every in Jericho doesn't like me, because I'm the one who takes their taxes, but if Jesus is prepared to walk with me, surely I'm prepared to walk with him. And that is discipleship, isn't it? Discipleship is not split. Be a Christian at home, but not one in the world. Or be one in the world and not one at home. Both sides are required. Walk with Jesus in such a way that everybody can see it. And make your home a place where he is central. Zacchaeus took his opportunity, didn't he? There's no indication from Jesus that he was going to prepare that he was prepared to spend five minutes under the tree. He was prepared to spend plenty of time in Zacchaeus' house. 
But Zacchaeus had this one moment come down from the tree, and he did. Of course, there's another lesson there, isn't there, about the Christian life? Where does joy come from? Because we're told there about Zacchaeus in verse 6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He received him. That's a kind of unusual statement, isn't it? It implies embracing, receiving him. A relationship starts. That is one lesson from that, not this. That the discovery of joy is only made in the path of obedience. Would Zacchaeus have been a happy man if he had stayed up the tree? Would he have experienced the joy of being with Jesus? And of course, I think that's a, a factor that we often forget. have to ask ourselves, I ask myself, am I a happy Christian at this moment? Am I a joyful Christian at this moment? I mean, be honest. If we're not joyful, why? Why? didn't take long for Zacchaeus to experience this joy. I mean, I, when I'm not joyful, I can come up with a hundred excuses. But I think the real reason is disobedience. Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. The path of obedience is where joy is found. And if our temperature is not very high at the moment, maybe that's where we should look. That leads us to the criticism. One thing that the Bible tells us about the crowds that followed Jesus, they were quite fickle. They had seen him do what he did for Bartimaeus. But now that he's moved on a bit and they've gone with him through Jericho and he now comes to want to go with this tax collector, they find fault. They just say to him there, doesn't he? When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
The first comment that Zacchaeus heard as he came down the tree was criticism of Jesus. The very man he had wanted to meet. The very man who had said to him, I want to come to your house. And as he is standing there beside Jesus, he hears criticism of Jesus. I mean, that can happen with new converts. As people look on, and they might think the new convert has lost his mind for becoming a Christian, but they'll say things about Jesus like, well, what's so significant about him? What's he got that other religious leaders don't have? It's not unusual for Christians to hear their Savior demeaned. And he may be demeaned doing the very thing that brings blessing to them. Zacchaeus was taking steps into an unusual blessing from Jesus. But there's this criticism Look at him, going to be the guest with such a sinner. We shouldn't be surprised to hear Jesus maligned. But sometimes, and often, there's truth in what they say. Because here they find fault with He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I mean, Jesus loved going to houses. Never counted the number of houses he went to in the Gospels. Went to Peter's house. Went to the house of Jairus. He went to the house in Bethany. He went to the house in Emmaus. He also liked going to the houses of tax collectors because he went to Matthew's house, Levi's house. And the one thing that can be said about all these houses, they were sinners' houses. Every house that Jesus ever went into, the only people that were in it were sinners, apart from himself. Even the house in which he had grown up, the house that he had been in in Nazareth, who lived in it? Sinners did, apart from himself. So, when this crowd said about him here in Jericho, he has gone to a sinner's house, what's new? That's been the story of his life. It's not, the issue is not that he's going to the house. The issue is what will he do in the house when he gets there? It's a wonderful thing to know, isn't it? That Jesus loves to go to sinners' houses. Because that means he'll come to all ours. 
There's never been a house in the, on earth that is different from this. It's the houses of sinners that Jesus loves to go to. And as the Gospels tell us, if he's asked, he'll go. And I suppose it's, spiritually speaking, it's good for us as sinners to dig Jesus into our house. And Zacchaeus, well, he experiences that. And we can see in verse 8 the confession that he makes. And it's extraordinary the effect <clears throat> that it had on Zacchaeus to have Jesus in his house. It gave a total different perspective on what he had and what he intended to do in the future. Because he says there, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, of course, Zacchaeus may have had um, lots of resources, and for him to give away half of what he had might not have made any difference to him, really. I mean, there are lots of people in the world like that. If they happen to get converted tonight, they could give away half of what they got, and they, was, and they wouldn't even notice it. But Zacchaeus, anyway, he's making a vow, isn't he, to the Lord? The half of my goods I give to the poor. This is my future expression of dedication. And it must have been, it's quite a financial statement, isn't it? And then he sort of says, well, if I've defrauded anyone, I'll restore it fourfold. I mean, the law required restoration, but the law only required 5%. But here is Zacchaeus, and he's going to do it a lot more than that. Just put it this way. If he had defrauded somebody of a pound, the law said, give him one twenty. But Zacchaeus said, I'm giving four pounds. Or if we up it a bit. If you had defrauded him of a hundred pound, the law said give a hundred and twenty. But Zacchaeus said, I'm giving four hundred. And of course we can increase the figures. But why is he doing this? Where would he have Defrauded anyone. It would be in Jericho. Wouldn't it? What credibility would he have in Jericho if he didn't do this? Perhaps the people in the town could line up and just say, You took this too much from me on such and such a day. 
How is Zacchaeus going to show that he had been changed? And in his case, restitution showed credibility. People expect to see a change when people get converted. If they don't see it, they don't believe it. And then last is the comfort. Today, salvation has come to this house. Obviously, that's not a reference to the four walls. That's a reference to his family. And that's a common thing in the book of Acts, isn't it? Somebody believes and his household also is converted. Salvation has come to this house. You could imagine his wife and children saying to him, What have you brought home today, Zacchaeus? I've brought salvation. What does that mean? Here he is. So salvation comes to his house. Zacchaeus had brought many things home to his house, but nothing like this. And then Jesus gives an amazing summary of his own mission, doesn't he? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. At the start, we thought about who was Zacchaeus. The rich man, the secure man, the successful man, the lost man. Now, he had greater riches greater security because he was no longer lost. He had been found and all the sins of which he was guilty. In a week's time Jesus would pay the penalty on the cross. So when Jesus said I've come to seek and to save He's talking about what's going to happen in a few days' time when he would pay the penalty not just for the misdeeds of Zacchaeus but for everyone who would trust in him. So I hope we have. All of us. Shall we pray? Lord, we give you thanks that people who had nothing discovered you could give them everything as Bartimaeus discovered. We thank you too that people who had plenty like Zacchaeus discovered that you could give them something far better. So whether we are like Bartimaeus or like Zacchaeus, 
or somewhere in between. You're the Savior that we need. And we thank you, you came to seek and to save the lost. Because that's what Mark, Bartimaeus, and Zacchaeus, and everyone who has ever found you. They were lost. We pray, Lord, that all of us will take you to our homes, even as Zacchaeus did. And that we'd be glad to walk with you through the streets of our town, even as Zacchaeus did. Help us, Lord, to do it for your own name's sake. Amen.